Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Our new series in Luke called Glorious Disruption, being taught by our senior pastor, Kevin Dibley, is about when Jesus shows up and turns everyone's world upside down. We believe this study of God's word is about to turn many people's lives completely around. It may be even upside down because that's what happens in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus comes to people who are absolutely stunned and amazed by him, and they are profoundly and gloriously changed forever. Let's begin by praying that this happens here at Waterbrook and beyond for our joy and amazement in Jesus. Let's worship together. Let me just at this point in time just stop and prepare you. We're going towards communion. And as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, I just want to use not only the singing of what we've just sung, but the words of Scripture are going to prepare you to remember what Christ has done for you and how he's done for that, uh, done that for you. And so... Um, just as we're preparing, I want you to pray with me and uh, bow your heads. And uh, Gabe has reiterated it. We have sung it. But I want you to just be honest before the Lord uh, this morning and just say, Lord, I, I need help. I need to get my heart ready. Um, I want to I really see Jesus. I want to see his finished work this morning on my behalf. So would you bow your heads with me and let's pray together. Our God in Father, uh, the songs we have sung bring glory to you, the God who pursues the lost. And we sang about your love running red and our sins washing white. We thank you, dear God, that you forgive sinners. And we thank you, dear God, that you chased us, you pursued us, you came to get us. And so as we're studying your word as we now gaze upon Jesus we just thank you that Jesus was not half-hearted he was not cold-hearted he was not indifferent but he was all in for our salvation and we pray dear God that that heart of Jesus would beat in us as a church in Jesus name amen well let me uh, again just say a couple of things some of you I have not met yet and have come while we were away on sabbatical and some of you are visiting and I want to welcome you I ho- I hope I do get to know you and um that as we're uh worshiping and ministering together that God would be pleased to bless you um today there are a lot of birthdays um if you didn't get to talk to Sammy Bracken earlier today he turned 60 Five. He was in the first service. It's a big celebration for him. Tanya Luther's birthday was today. She didn't tell anybody till she was on her way out, or her her daughter squealed on her. And then uh, uh, Margot Hatch uh, is hiding down there over there. And Margot is one year less than a teenager, so she's got uh, one more year. She's 12 years old. Margot, we are thankful for you and how God has made you, and uh, He has made you. Uh, special for his purposes so happy birthday so I I also know that some of you are struggling today Um, a couple of you have had to put your fathers or grandfathers in the hospital just yesterday and today or move them and so I don't like to go through worship without a real sense for all of us that we understand that God sees what's going on in our lives. And this is not kind of ritualistic motion, but God is caring over you. I trust that the text that we're studying will minister to all of us and prepare us for communion. But here's the question that I'm going to ask you to, to deal with seriously 
today from this text of scripture. And the question I want to ask you is, how is your fire for the salvation of the lost today? How is the passion in your heart for those who have yet to come and know Jesus Christ? And the reason why I want to ask that question is because we see in this passage of Scripture, Jesus is just zealous for the lost. Jesus is just zealous for you and I, determined to rescue us. And if I were to ask you the question, how do you get a passion for the unsaved in your heart, I would give you one clear answer. Look to Jesus. Uh, Look at Jesus. Consider Jesus in this passage of Scripture. He speaks about as strongly as you will hear him speak. And when he speaks, you've got to think, he's got me in in his vision. He's got us in his purpose. And when we see Jesus passionately pursuing us, when we really get a grasp on that, we can't help but look at the world and say, let's tell them how great, how good, how gracious our Savior is. Today we're having the uh, Growing by the Water uh, introduction for the fundraiser for the building project. And I really wanted to stop and say this today, this morning, that there is absolutely no reason to expand the facilities of Waterbrook Church unless we're going to be on mission for God. The purpose of this building is not so that we can cloister ourselves away from the world. The purpose is not so that we can have this little kind of um, exclusive community that shelters us ourselves from the evils of the world. We have been sent to go on mission. The only reason to expand uh, the, the facilities of Waterbrook is so that we might reach more people with the same gospel message that's reached us, right? That's the reason why we're doing this. We want to see people come to know and seek and savor Jesus Christ the way that we have. That's our longing in our heart. And I want you to pray over that. I want you to pray that God would actually do that. And and if you've got any of the mailings on ministry for the fall, there's just so many bullet points. Actually, uh, John, John was overusing the word kicking off today. <laughs> this ministry is kicking off. It sounds like we're like, you know, you're kicked off. You know? <laughs> no, we're, we're launching. He's, I'm just teasing him. We're just launching ministry after ministry after ministry. And those ministries have come from you. These desires have come out of people wanting to serve, wanting to be discipled, wanting to be equipped to be able to share their faith. And that's great news, but that's what we've got to be praying over. How do I have a passion for the lost in a culture that's often hostile toward it? I want to acknowledge and remind you that today is 9-11. And one of the consequences, I believe, and I think there are many consequences from what happened just over 20 years ago. Some of you were born after 9-11, but one of the consequences of 9-11 is that we live in a culture that is filled with insecurity and fear. There's a lot of people, and there's a lot of things that have happened since 9-11, where, where they think there's no safe place anymore. There's no safe place for us. There's no safe place for our families. There's no safe place for our culture. We feel like uh, the, uh, the, the America we grew up with is sort of slipping away. And I, I want to say to you, the danger of that for Christians is you can pull back into like a, a, a separated safety zone rather than seeing this as a great opportunity for the gospel. 
Listen to uh, one professor of American history at a Christian college here in America. Listen to how he describes the danger, the, the consequence of fear in evangelicalism. He says, it's very strange and somewhat ironic that anyone who reads the Bible will find a lot of exhortations against fear. Fear represents a kind of lack of faith in God's sovereignty or God's will to work out his purposes. And so he says it's ironic. The American evangelicalism seems to be characterized by fear, but the command that's given most in the Bible is what? Fear not. And it's given for good reason because we're prone to anxiety. He, he writes, I love the quote from Marilyn Robinson, fear is not a Christian habit of mind. I like that line. Fear is not a Christian habit of mind. Fear is a product of the broken world that we live in. But fear is not a place where one can dwell and still claim to be an evangelical gospel-centered Christian can't call yourself gospel-centered and be living in a culture of fear. It produces negative consequences. He, he continues, what's striking here is that evangelicals have in almost every circumstance where there's some kind of change in the culture, they have not responded with hospitality to the stranger, with grace, with hope, with the idea that people who are different from them have been created in the image of God and have that dignity and worth. Instead, they built their walls, protected themselves against the people they fear. He says, fear is an inherent contradiction for anyone who takes the Bible seriously. It's an inherent contradiction to anyone who takes the Bible seriously. Seriously, I don't want to stop and say this. Waterbrook, our mission is, this is our mission. Waterbrook's mission, Waterbrook seeks to be a gospel-centered, multi-ethnic family that's captivated by Jesus, compelled to love others, and called to make disciples to the glory of God. We can never fulfill our mission as a church in this culture if we're captivated by fear. And the beauty of this passage of Scripture is that Jesus is being threatened and he doesn't pull back into a fearful uh, cocoon away from everything, but you see the flash of the fire of the gospel in Jesus. And it's beautiful because you know why? He's coming after you and he's coming after me. That's great news. And so here's what I want to show you in this text before we take communion. How do I get a fire for the gospel in my heart. If you've never had it, pray for it right now. If you've had it and it's gone cold, pray that God might uh, fan the flames of your heart for the lost, that they would come to know and love Jesus Christ. Pray over that this morning. But I'll tell you, in this passage of Scripture, the only way we can get a flame for the lost, for people to come to know Jesus, to be saved from their sins, the only way is to look to Jesus because the fire begins in him. And in this passage of Scripture, we're going to see two things. We're going to see the fire that's in Jesus for the lost, and then we're going to see where his fire come from, because that's an important question. So look at this passage of Scripture with me and uh, listen to what, how it unfolds here, because Jesus is very strong in his passion, Jesus' passionate pursuit of you and me uh, in the gospel. So it says, look at verse 31. It says, at that very hour... 
some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. Now the Bible scholars who have studied this uh, passage of scriptures debate. Some of them say that the Pharisees were just trying to get rid of Jesus. They were tired of him. His ministry was an annoyance and they were hoping to scare him away. Uh, Some others say that there were some good Pharisees and they knew the threat was real. They had inside information and because they cared about Jesus, they came and spoke to him about Herod. Now remember, Herod was an actual threat. And if if Herod had uttered a threat against Jesus, that threat would have been very real and very dangerous. Herod killed John the Baptist. And so as this warning comes to Jesus, what is Jesus' reaction? It's not um, fear. It's not passiveness. It's not save his own neck. It is a passionate determination to pursue the lost. And we ought to rejoice in this. Listen to how Jesus responds. He said to them, go and tell that fox. Those are fighting words if you're talking about King Herod. Go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following it, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. And then he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. And so Jesus immediately responds and says, go tell that fox. And the commentators pick up on that. I call my sermon, the fox and the hen. Because in this passage, Jesus calls Herod a fox and he calls himself a hen. And we're not to read that lightly. Jesus is using strongly emotive language. And when he calls Herod a fox, commentators say, this isn't like you and I when we've read fables and the fox is sly and cunning, you know, and he's he's sneaking, finding a way to sneak into the hen house. These are fighting words with Jesus where he is speaking down to Herod and speaking with his authority. Listen to how one commentator uh, describes Jesus' words here. Uh, Randall Booth says, in rabbinic teaching, the word fox would be better understood as weakling, small fry, usurper, powerless, clown, insignificant person, cream puff, nobody, weasel. I just stopped there. He had a whole lot of other words. <laughs> thought he might have been getting a little carried away. But there's a sense when we look at this text of Scripture, we need to understand they come and say, Herod wants to kill you. And essentially, Jesus says, you go tell that weasel. That's what Fox would sound like. Or go tell that powerless clown. Or go tell that cream puff. <laughs> That's what he's saying here. Jesus, but he's speaking with anger and fury. You know, when I was growing up, one of the most popular pictures of Jesus was a painting done by Salman in uh, S-A-L-L-M-A-N in 1940, where Jesus, it it was painted by 1940. It looked like a Jesus from the 1960 hippie movement. But I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's a, a picture of Jesus. He's very white. He's got long flowing hair. 
and the light is just coming across him, and he looks very serene, very peaceful. And I'm sure there were times where Jesus was peaceful. But uh, one of the commentators says, that Jesus in that picture is not this Jesus in this text of Scripture. That Jesus in that passage of Scripture is not found very often in the Gospel of Luke. This is a Jesus who is determined to save the lost. And when Herod threatens to kill him, he says, you go tell. And he speaks. This is what I want us to see. The fire in Jesus is the fire of courage, absolute courage. He is not going to be intimidated by Saul. And where does his courage come from? Listen to the text again, how Jesus speaks uh, to um, Herod. It says in this passage of Scripture, sorry, let me just, uh, he says, Whoops, I'm in Matthew. It'll help if I'm in the Gospel of Luke. I'll see it here. He says, um, and he said to them, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finish my course. Hear what he says there? He's speaking to King Herod and he says, you weasel. Do you not understand who I am and why I'm here? I am going to cast out demons. I'm battling the kingdoms of darkness. I have come into the world to bring Satan down. His ministry begins and he says, I saw Satan falling from heaven. You are a king, earthly king. You are nothing compared to the demonic powers in which I am battling. I am going to take Satan down. And then he says, I am going to heal the sick. Uh, everything from the fall of Adam sin and the curse. And, and again, I just want to acknowledge today, some of you here right now are feeling the curse of disease and sickness and death upon loved ones that you care about. And he comes in and he says, you know what, Herod, you're nothing compared to what's happened since the fall of Adam and Eve and sin, and I'm going to end the curse. And he says, and then on the third day, I will finish my course. And I love the way Jesus stands up to this warning because essentially what he's saying is, you're threatening me with death, I'm going to conquer death. Amen. And marvelously, here's the marvelous thing, he says, even when you join together with Pontius Pilate and the chief priests and the religious leaders kill me, I will rise again triumphant over that. You take me down and I will take you down once and for all. That's fighting language. That's strong language. That's the fire of courage. Church, we need that fire in us. And the only way to see that fire is to look at it and say, when Herod was threatening Jesus, Jesus was saving you. Jesus was saving me. Jesus was determined to take down Satan, take down sin, take down the curse, take down death, and nothing would stop him. Satan could not stop him. Disease could not stop him. Sin could not stop him. Nobody would stop him. He was on a mission, and he said, until I finish the course, I will not be stopped. And so I, I, I just want you to think about that this morning, because as we're looking at Jesus coming to rescue me and, and coming for me and fighting for me, who, it is, who is it around us who also needs us to fight on their behalf, that they might be delivered through that same power through Jesus Christ? Isn't, aren't you amazed today that Jesus came after you? The passionate pursuit of Jesus. Some of you have family members you love who need Jesus. This is not the time for cowardice. 
It's not the time to be pulling back and being afraid. Life goes by too quick, doesn't it? We need the fire of courage, but we also need the fire of compassion. You see Jesus weeping here? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and the stones, those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, but as he makes his way to Jerusalem, it causes him great grief because he knows that Jerusalem is going to be the place. It has been the place where all the prophets have been killed, and now the one great last prophet will be crucified by his own people. And he weeps over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem. He looks back at the history of the Old Testament and the story of God's redeeming love and his reconciling grace and the sending of prophets. And no matter what they did, they would kill him. And he comes to Jerusalem knowing they're going to crucify him, knowing on account of that that he will go to to the, to the nations. He knows in 70 AD the temple is going to be destroyed and it breaks his heart. Breaks his heart. Aren't you glad that Jesus breaks? His heart breaks for the lost? That his heart was broken as he went towards Jerusalem? That he saw them? That he grieved over them? He saw the trajectory of his life? And that combination, when I was writing my sermon initially, I was saying we, be, we need both a spine and a spleen. We need a backbone, friends, when we're intimidated. We need to stand up and speak the gospel. But we also need to do it with tears. We need to ache. We need to see Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. It, later on in chapter 19, he will weep over Jerusalem again as he goes into Jerusalem. And so there is a fire in Jesus that is both uh, the fire of courage and the fire of compassion. And friends, we need that. If we just have the fire of courage, we'll sound like a bunch of angry evangelicals just raging against the culture. We have to have compassion. We have to care about our neighbors. We have to care about the lost. We have to care about the nations have never heard about Jesus. We've got to be deeply affected. If we're just compassionate and we have no courage, when the, when the culture turns against us, when people oppose us, we just go silent. We need both. Waterbrook, are we going to show up? Are we going to show up on mission for God? I mean, there, there are women being trafficked in Italy. There are women being trafficked on social media. There are horrific evils going on in this world. Are we going to show up? Are you going to write curriculum? Take the gospel to the ends of the earth? Are you going to do it? Are you going to teach young children in Sunday school? Raise up another generation that's not afraid of what somebody says? Waterbrook, we, we might build a building, but if we don't build the strength of God's people and a commitment to the gospel, then Ichabod, you're forsaken. We need courage. We need fire. Now, here's, here's the question I want to ask beyond that. We have to look at Jesus and see his fire and plead with him. God, if you've done this for me and you've done this for our church family, you've got to go further. We need to pray that we might have the fire in Christ. But I want to ask the question, where does Jesus' fire come from? Where does his fire come from? 
And if you read through the passage, what you realize is that Jesus sees his life and ministry, not just in light of his reaction to what's going on, it's part of the fire of God, the passion of God that existed before the foundation of the world. It's interesting that at the end of this passage, Jesus says to the Jewish people, you will not see me again until you see. And he quotes Psalm 118. Blessed, when you sing, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And when Gabe is leading worship, Gabe is saying, isn't it going to be a glorious day when all the nations, every tribe, tongue, and people group, every color of skin, every language, every, every, every background, we're all together and we're at the feet of Jesus saying, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. And from, with tears in our eyes and our crowns casted down, we'll sing that when his blood ran red, our sins washed white. Won't that be a glorious day? And Jesus, as he's coming unto his mission, he realizes this mission is not his own mission. It's a mission given to him by God. I actually um, think, I, I, I was just imagining what it was like for Jesus at this point in time, because they actually did sing Psalm 118. And, and uh, I, I could imagine, because when I was driving into church this morning, one of the things I do is I sing, because I'm by myself and I don't irritate too many people. And I'm singing on my way in, and I'm singing worship to God about how precious Christ is to me. And as I'm singing in, I just imagine Jesus singing Psalm 118. And Psalm 118 is a, a depiction of God's whole sovereign plan and salvation. It talks about the suffering servant who would come and be rejected but he wouldn't he wouldn't fail and he and the and the stone that was rejected became the cornerstone of a new kingdom and of a new temple that God was building that's us folks and as Jesus was singing this somebody comes up in his heart somebody comes up and says Herod is going to kill you and he's got Psalm 18 and the story of the Bible in his head he's got the fire of the gospel and he's going I'm sorry but let me sing another tune to you Satan let me sing another tune to you Herod let me sing to you this song the songs of Zion there's a day coming where we will all sing blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and the Lord will march in so let me just show you a couple of things in this passage of Scripture. The fire in Jesus' heart began in God's heart himself. Go back and look at this Luke 13 passage and hear Jesus as he speaks. He said, go tell that fox, verse 32, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way. In the Greek, the word day, it means it is absolutely necessary that I go on my way tomorrow, today, tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet shall perish from Jerusalem. Take your Bible and go to Psalm 118, just quickly with me, if you would. Let's go to the Psalm that Jesus references. Jesus knows that he has to go to Jerusalem. Jesus knows that he must go to the cross, but he knows that he must go there because if he goes there, he will conquer sin and death. And so in Psalm 118, just listen to the description and see if it sounds like what happened to Jesus when he went to the cross for us. He said in verse 10 of Psalm 118, all the nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. 
They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. You, you hear what Jesus is saying here? They came after me. The nations came after me. They crushed me. I conquered. He conquered on our behalf. And he, he's singing. He knows this psalm. This was a thousand years before Jesus showed up. This is a song that began in the heart of God long before creation was made. God providentially purposed that his son would come as a sacrifice for sinners and save a people for himself. Look down further in verse um, tw- uh, 19. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. You got that? That's what's in Jesus' heart. God has purposed to send him in and deliver sinners. There's a new temple built under this cornerstone. There's a new kingdom being brought under this king. He is coming to deliver. And Jesus is simply, this is what I think is going on. Jesus knows the word of God. You'll never have a fire in your heart unless you read the word of God and read it properly. Because here's the difficulty. Many of us, we read the Bible quickly in the morning. And why do we read it? We want a little upper to help us get through the day, right? We want a little pill to help me with my struggles. But the way Jesus reads the story is the Bible is the story of God. It's the mission of God to come and save the world. And Jesus knows that in the mission of God, he's going to go to Jerusalem and that nations are going to come against him and they're going to try to cut, them, cut him down, but he's going to cut them down and save. And so the way we need to read the Bible is that this Bible is a history of God. This is the story of God. This is the mission of God. I've uh, quoted to you um, before Christopher Wright's teaching called The Mission of God. Christopher Wright has the statement that is not that the church has a mission for God, but God has a church for his mission. And listen to what he says. He says, fundamentally, our mission, if it's biblically informed and validated, means our common participation as God's people at God's invitation and command in God's own mission within the history of God's world for the redemption of God's creation. This is God's salvation. Aren't you glad for this? I mean, right now you're in the story of God. If you're a Christian, it's because God wrote a story in which a Savior came to save you. And when the time came for him to die, he wasn't cowering. He wasn't self-protecting. He knew that this was absolutely necessary. And you and I need to understand this. The reason why we will get a fire for the lost is we're part of that story. Kevin Van Hooser says there's like five acts in the story of God. Genesis 1 to 11 is creation and the fall of man. Genesis chapter 12 to the end of the Old Testament is the story of Jerusalem and its rejection of its Messiah and its God. The Gospels tell us, uh, act number three, is the story of Christ who came and fulfilled our salvation and lived and died and was crucified and rose from the dead. 
Act number four is the church in the book of Acts to the end of the Bible being filled with the Holy Spirit, gone to announce the, the victory of Jesus Christ over sin and death. And the final chapter, Act chapter five, is blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord when the Lamb of God walks in victory and comes in triumph. Friends, Kevin Van Hooser says, we are at the end of Act 4. The Christ is coming, and the courage we get is knowing that that victory has already been won. This world needs a Savior. Time is fading, and we will hear the trumpet sound, and one day we will all together be with the Lord. So that's where the fire comes. It comes in the passion of God. Listen to John Piper. He says, God is pursuing with omniscient passion a worldwide purpose of gathering joyful worshipers for himself from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. He has an inexhaustible enthusiasm for the supremacy of his name among the nations. Therefore, let us bring our affections in line with his. My dear friends, there's nobody more passionate about the salvation of the lost than God himself. And I need to align my heart with his. That's what we're doing. That's what Jesus was doing. He was aligning himself with God. He knew God's radical passion to redeem humanity, and he understood God's relentless pursuit. That's why you hear Jesus say this, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you like a mother hen gathers you under his wings. Do you hear that cry of Jesus? What's he talking about? Chapter after chapter, in Genesis to the Old Testament, the people of Israel rebelled against God. God called them. God sent them prophets. They crucified, killed, executed, imprisoned Jeremiah and prophets. They kept saying, no, no, no. Finally, the great prophet comes, and they nailed him to a tree. He weeps over Jerusalem because God is broken over the rebellious and the lost. I, mean, I want to say this really simply. If you're here today and you're rebelling against God, don't hear me sound in some just harsh, condemning way. Understand this. God weeps over you. How many times has he pursued you? I mean, Christian, how many times has he come after you? Over and over again, he comes after us, pursuing us, calling us. And he says to Jerusalem, Jerusalem, it's 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 time. Your, your temple is going to come down in 70 AD. I am going to move off to the Gentiles. And he weeps over this. Jesus weeps over this because the sto- this is the story of our God. Our God is a forgiving God. I, was, I, I don't think I spoke to Gabe about this, but Gabe had us read this morning from Micah. And at the end of Micah, who is a forgiving God like thee, a redeeming God who forgives iniquities? Micah's the story of God forgiving his people over and over again. I read that this morning in light of today because that's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Is there any God in the universe who forgives like our God? I can announce this to you today. If you repent, you will be forgiven this day. Today, you can be forgiven. It's not the long list. It's not the record of things you've done. It's a God who is remarkably patient. And today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Today, receive grace. Today, receive forgiveness. The last thing we see in that text of Scripture is Jesus is not only 
you know, aware of the passion of God for salvation and the patience of God towards sinners. But Jesus is looking for that parade. Not that first Palm Sunday when he came in and they sang Hosanna. But this radical day when we will see <laughs> When you and I fall down with all the different people groups before him and we will say, bring the king into the temple. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I tell you, there will be no day like that day, my dear friends, when Jesus shows up and makes all things new. So Queen Elizabeth died. She was 96. My closest uncle and aunt, who led my mom and dad to Christ, are 96. And uh, they both got tested for COVID yesterday. We live in the shadowlands. We, we live in the days sometimes when we're bracing ourselves for what next. But Jesus knows there's a great what, what next. A day when sin and death and disease will one day be gone. In uh, Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, there's a scene in Mordor when they're trying to take the ring and throw it into the fire. And as they're making their way, it's dark and it's depressing and it's a battle just against themselves. And this is what Tolkien writes about uh, a, a light moment, an enlightening moment uh, for Samwise Gamgee. He says, there peeping among the cloud rack above a dark tor high up in the mountains, Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart as he looked out on the forsaken land and hope returned to him. For like a shaft clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end, the shadow was only small, a small and a passing thing. There was light and a high beauty beyond its reach. My friends, do you see the light? Do you see that day when Jesus is going to come back in glory and make all things new? The shadow is about to disappear. It's about to disappear. And what kept Jesus going to the cross, pursuing you and I, was the fact that he knew the cross wasn't the end. There was resurrection and there was return. And that was glorious. And you and I need to see that today. There's a better day for this world. There's a beautiful day coming. On that day, every tear will be wiped away. All sin will be gone. The curse will be removed. Rebellion will be out of every heart. And we will sing like we've never sung before. Waterbrook, where's your fire? Where's your fire for the kingdom? Where's your fire for the lost? Jesus is the one that has it. He had it for you. God, the triune God, has had it for all eternity. Before the foundation of the world, he burned with fire for you and me. Praise God. And he will come again. That's the good news. So as we prepare to take communion, if you need communion, raise your hand. And uh, we'll get somebody to bring them down. Um, Somebody's going to run up there and grab it for you. But let's bow our heads in prayer. And let's pray that in light of the gospel, uh, we might have a passion for the kingdom of God and those that need to be saved.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the pursuing, remarkable love of Jesus for us, that he passionately pursued us because you were passionate about our salvation. Thank you that you're a God who sees, that you're a God who weeps, that you're a God who lays down his son's life in order that we might be set free. Oh, there's no love like your love. Sometimes it seems unbelievable that you would rescue sinners who have cried out against you, rebelled against you, but that's your story. That's you, God. There is no God like you. So Jesus, give us your heart for the lost. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were able to seek, savor, and share the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to find out more about our church, submit a prayer request, watch previous sermons, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed week.